Amen. All right, guys, we'll grab a Bible, and if you would, join us this morning. We are in 1 John. Sunday mornings, we're making our way verse by verse through this book, and we're excited to be doing so. So we pick up where we've left off uh, last week, and we want to invite you to be there with us. Hopefully you brought a Bible, and if so, would you make your way there, 1 John chapter 4. If you didn't bring a Bible, there are Bibles in front of you, and, and the shears in front of you with a page number on the screen, so you can very rapidly get a hold of that, and we'd invite you to be able to do that. Uh, if you are using an electronic device, that works as well. One way or another, we just want to encourage you to have the Word of God before you so that it be God's Word that would speak into your life. If you're in the overflow, if you're joining us online, please hear that same invitation, that this would be a day and space that God would draw you. And so we're hoping you have a Bible and you would open it up and follow along with us. As we just kind of present ourselves into that space, I want to lead once more in prayer, but inviting you to pray. Let's just ask God to speak to us, that he would help you and I to understand this morning what he's saying, but that it would work into our lives what he has for each one of us. Father, right here, right now, I ask, I ask for your faithfulness. I ask for your work that would take your word and impact our lives. God, I ask right now that you would so just move so that you're honored and we, in this same moment, hear from you. Lord, did you, in your, in your good faithfulness, take your word and, and make it clear? And then you have a very direct way you work in each one of our lives. You know us individually. You know who we are. You know where we are. So, Lord, we just want to ask that you'd work inside of us, that you would just work in each one of us today to hear what you have for us. We're asking together for that right now. We're asking right here that you would make yourself known to us through your word. With that, we just ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Five words. Five words that could genuinely change your life. Change where you are. Change what's taking place in, in things in your life. Five words. Perfect love casts out fear. You know, that just does good just to hear it. That's the Word of God. That's verse 18 this morning. Perfect love casts out fear. Just hearing it would do good for us, but so much more to let it just meet us where we are. Let's notice we're going to cover a couple verses this morning, and both of them kind of flow into this. We pick it up in verse 17, where we left off last week. It says it this way, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Yeah, we just want to wrap our minds around that this morning in a way that both understanding it, but by God's grace, again, meeting you where you are. So let's just begin with the idea of understanding fear. Now, you probably recognize it. Fear is something we know. Phobios, the, the Greek word, phobos, the Greek word where we get phobia from, and this idea of, of looking at things and feeling fear. Now, though it's uh, an understanding term, one that you get, it might even be helpful to give a very clear dictionary definition of it, especially even of the Greek word that's used here in this space. And so if we were looking for a, a good definition, this would probably be one that would be worth wrapping our minds around. Fear is an emotion experienced in anticipation of some specific pain or danger, usually accompanied by a desire to flee or fight. This is pretty clear, right? Fear is an emotion. Fear is an emotional response that has us living in anticipation of something, that we are thinking about something that's going to happen or we think might happen, and, and it causes us to have a, just this moment of anticipation of pain, of danger, and that often creates the desire either to, to run or to fight. doesn't mean we always do it, but it's there. Now, I recognize this, and for many of you right now, you're like, well, I know what that is. I know exactly what that looks like. 
And yet so often it's just good to kind of wrap our minds around that. In fact, if you're reading with us in the daily Bible reading, you're in the book of Psalms with us today, and I found it interesting. Uh, Even just the way that David would word it there in Psalm 11, when he has this kind of conversation, almost with his own heart, he says, how can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? It's a poetic understanding, but actually one that probably most of us have felt at one point or another. What did he just say? how can you say to me, how can I almost feel this desire to run away? Like, run away into some secluded space, away from everything, away from everybody, away from everything, you know, almost this place where you're looking at the world and just thinking, you know, there's just got to be some, you know, remote island somewhere, some, you know, cabin up in the middle of the Alaska frontier, some place where I could, you know, totally be away. Why? What are you feeling, David? Well, he says, look, He says, you know, the wicked are bending their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. And if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? He's wrestling with a couple things. He says, in one sense, it just feels that evil seems to be winning and and almost as if if it's ready to, you know, send in a destructive arrow into our lives. And at the same moment, it feels that things that should be so solid, foundations that should be so secure, they feel like they're crumbling. And and David's response, again, is is, is fear. The kind of fear that says, I'm going to run away. (laughs) That's what I want to do. Like, this this is hard. Like, this is a hard space. For some of you here this morning, you would recognize that very well. It's almost even how that's there in the midst of it, but it's fear. Well, fear is what we want to talk about, and it's worth just quickly understanding there's actually lots of different kinds of fear, right? Sometimes you can take that word just phobia and add to it. You can have like, you know, things like hydrophobia, kind of the fear of water, or acrophobia, the fear of climbing. And some of you are even thinking through right now, you're like, Jim, I know what there's, a, there's a, like this Charlie Brown thing. Like, I don't know how many, how many of you guys are thinking through the Charlie Brown and Lucy thing like right now. And so they're there and Lucy's like, if we could just label your fears, like it would go well. And she goes through and she says, you know, Charlie Brown, do you, do you think you have pantophobia? And he's like, what's that? She's like, fear of everything. And he's like, that's it. Like, you know, that's, I'm afraid of everything. Well, here's what I want you to understand. There are lots of fears. And it's not necessarily all of those fears being addressed here. Although, please understand, it could actually even change some of those. Like if you're deathly afraid of spiders, uh, this may or may not help you in that. Although there can be help there. But it's not really focused on that kind of fear. It's a very specific fear that's being addressed here in these verses. It's a fear of judgment. It's a fear of torment. Yet notice with me again, just so you see it, says there in verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Says the thing that we're looking at, the thing that we're thinking through is judgment. In fact, he goes on in verse 18 and says, you know, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. Fear involves this idea of facing that, of facing this understanding of of torment, of judgment, that ultimately it is this this thought that grips that is a place that that creates fear. Now, I say this to you, and right off the bat, I want to just kind of address, because somebody might be listening to me right now and saying, well, Jim, I don't, that's not really a fear I ever really think about. I mean, it's not really, I mean, I am afraid of spiders, but I don't really think about that. I just want to tell you that's probably not true. I love the way Hebrews says it when it talks about what Jesus is to us, the one who came to rescue us. It says he came to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That Jesus came to rescue us through this fear of death, this kind of fear that all of our lifetime, all of our days, it kind of creates space of bondage. Now, here's what I want you to understand. You might not have labeled it that way. And you might not have even totally identified it, but it's there. It's there. He says, outside of Christ, there is this fear that just consumes you all of your life. It's a bondage. It's a, it's a, it's a fear. It's a fear to die. It's a fear of what comes after death. It's a fear of what's coming. And it's ingrained inside of us. In fact, I like the way Solomon says it in Ecclesiastes 3. He says that he has put eternity in their hearts, that he's built us for this. Now, again, the Bible says it clearly. The Bible lets us know that there is, you know, a point in a man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. The Bible is really clear that every person is going to stand before God, 
that every person is going to face that. And outside of Christ, everyone is going to face judgment. But also understand this, though the Bible very clearly says it, it's built into you. It's an interesting thing. You don't actually have to convince people that hardly if they're actually paying attention because God's built us for this. He's, he's built us so that just almost instinctually we know there's a judgment. There, there, you know, there's, there's something bigger than this. There is an eternity. This is all, not all that there is. That's built into us. You almost have to you know, intentionally attack that in our world to undo that. And our world does seek to do that. But understand this, it's built into you. It's built into who you are. So when we think about this, when we think about this idea of a fear of judgment, we think about a fear of torment, what I need to want to just say as clearly as I can is it actually has and maybe is affecting your life in ways that you're not totally recognizing right now. It's far more powerful. It's far more just uh, gripping and moving than, than words can understand. I just want to tell you this is big. You know, we think about the, the, the last few years, and we think about things that we've walked through as a nation, and I don't want to even dive deeply there, but I'll tell you this. It's been fear. Fear has gripped people. And ultimately, what gri- grabs so much of people is the fear of death. Look far past that. We live in a world that, you know, in many ways, almost just worships this idea of a fountain of youth, this the idea of get younger. And, and part of what grips into that moment is, is a way of fearing to die fearing what that is, that death holds, you know, a, a scary moment, that death is that place that ultimately is, is, is terrifying. And yet here's what he wants to tell you. That's not where you need to stay. It's not where God has you to live. It's not what God has for us because he's wanting us to know that perfect love can cast that out, that perfect love is that that can deal just definitively and effectively with us in our lives that is transforming. So fear, we kind of wrap our minds around. Let's talk about perfect love for a moment. Perfect love, that's again what he's telling us, and he says it in two different ways. You might notice it again in verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Then he goes and says it again in verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So perfect love, that's what's being held out to us. But right off the bat, I need to catch you because if you're thinking this through for a moment and you're like, well, that sounds great, but um, I don't do anything perfectly. I mean, if that's what this is, no wonder I'm in a mess, you know, because there is that, you know, perfect is, is not a score that I can attain, but hear me as clear as I can. It's not your love that is the perfect love, it's his. This isn't about you, this is about what he is. This isn't about what you're doing. It is about what he has done. That the love that's being laid out for us is the love that he himself is, that it exists presently in God. In fact, back up a verse. Go back to verse 16 for a moment. It says, and we have known and believed that the love God has for us, God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God for, and God in him. I remind you right now that that's what we've been seeing in this section. Twice he said it. This is who our God is. This is who our God is. God is love. It's not just something he does. It's not just something that he accomplishes, though he does. It's by his nature who he is. We're not looking at something waiting for it to happen. We're looking at something that exists and is present. This is who our God is. This is the, he is the one with perfect love. And, and the way this comes across is that this is something that's meant to be recognized as his love for you, his love for us. It's presented that way. In fact, you might notice in this verb form that's in verse 17 there, it says, love has been perfected among us in this. When it's used as a verb in these things, it says that it's, it's been perfected. And the word perfected, the the verb that's there, is a passive verb. Now, most of you understand what that is. Some of you are like, man, that just sounds like English. I mean, that sounds like back in, you know, mid-school or high school, you know, and having to diagram sentences. Well, yes, a little bit. But think about it just for a moment. There's a very big difference between an active verb and a passive verb. An active verb is you doing the action. A passive verb is you receiving the action. 
An active verb is the boy hit the ball. The passive verb is the ball hit the boy. It's not you. It's not you doing it. It's you getting it. It's, it's it happening to you. It's that which is being happen, just accomplished towards you and in you. So the perfect love that he's inviting us to understand this morning is not your love, it is his. It is not what you're doing, it's what he's done. And it is calling us to recognize it. It is calling us to receive it. It is calling us to see it. In fact, back up a couple more verses. Go back to verse 9. It says, in this the love of God was manifested or made seen to us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God is love. And His love has been made manifest towards us. His love is being accomplished for us. His love was in sending His Son. And that's present. That's not something we're waiting to have happen or hoping is going to happen. This is something that in this place, when He's calling us to think about what perfect love is, it is this place of recognition. It is this place of seeing it. Where He says, here's how this can be manifest to you. Here's how you can understand it. And if you see it, if you get it, this is what that will do. It is God's love. Now, that's exciting. That's really, really exciting because that makes it possible. That makes it possible for everyone here. That makes it possible. If, if I was asking for you to be perfect, it would not. We would say, well, that's good. That's somebody else. You know, I'm not going to be that one. But if it's him, yeah, that's, that's different. That said, I don't want to make this confusing, but I need to be accurate. I need to be clear within the text. Though it is the love of God that is passively being received by you, it is also actively doing something inside you, and that is to make you loving. Now, I say that because that's what he just said. In fact, he just used this word perfect about this. Go back to verse 12. She says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. If we love one another, if we do that, then God's perfect love is being just known by us and received by us. We, we dove into this last week, and I reminded you that that's exactly what Jesus is to us. We think about what Jesus told us in John 7. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What a powerful understanding. He says, are you thirsty? Do you need this? Come, come and drink, come and drink, come and come and get what I'm offering you. Come and receive the life that I'm, 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 I'm going to give you. If, you. if you find yourself thirsty, then I'm the source that you're looking for. I'm the water of life that you need. And if you drink it, rivers of living water are going to come out of you. That not only will you find yourself satisfied, but you will find that life that's flowing in you flow out of you. And it's always meant to be that way. The Christian life is never meant to be just one-sided, where it's just about me being saved and me having life and me knowing the love of God. If I really know His love, it changes me so that I have to become loving, so that I have to to love people, which is a big part of the whole section that we've been walking in, a big part of the message of 1 John, that He's telling us that this is what is meant to happen there. So it is God's love. It is God's love that we're receiving. It is changing us. That's the perfect love that he's inviting you to know that would cast out all fear. But he gives us one other incredible nugget. Go back and see it again as we're thinking about it there in verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because, catch the because, because as he is, so are we in the world. As he is, so are we. 
It's because of Christ. It is because of Christ. It is because of the connection that the Christian has with Christ, that he's in us and we in him, that this reality of being with Christ, it's the thing that changes our lives. It's the thing that changes everything so that we would look and say, I'm in this world, but I'm in Christ. And as he's overcome the world, I overcome the world. As he's overcome death, I overcome death. It's, it's, it's not because of me. It's not because of what I am. It's not because of what, it's Christ. It is because of the wonder and the glory and the power and the effect of Christ. It is because of the connection, the life that is lived with him and in him. It is this picture again of abiding in Christ, which is how it ended for us there again in verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. It's this connected, wonderful life, which is exactly what the Christian life is. Think about how it tells it to us in 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If anyone, if anybody's in Christ, it has changed. You're now in him. It's now changed everything. And this is true for every follower of Jesus. But let me speak very clearly. There's some here this morning that you're not yet a follower of Jesus. You're not yet here, and there's importance to understand this, that there's the hope that's found here is only found in Christ. It's only found in having this relationship that says, if anyone's in Christ, this old passing away, behold, all things becoming new. To become born again, to have life in him is what you need. And if that's you today, we're inviting you to see it and say, that's not me right now, but th- so this doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for you. We get to look as a Christian and say, hey, judgment is no longer ours. That, that place is no longer ours. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, judgment is yours. You should be afraid. You should be afraid because you're going to stand before him. But if you're in him, if you're in Christ, that changes everything. I, I think about it this way. When Colossians, Paul would write to the church in Colossae, he says to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says, this is our incredible treasure. This is our incredible riches. It's us in Christ and Christ in us. It is, it is Christ with us. It is the connected life that we have with him. In Romans 8, it tells us this way. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who, well, just catch it, are in Christ Jesus. We'll come back and talk a little bit more about Romans 8 in a moment, but I just want you to see it. It's in Christ. The reason why condemnation, while judgment, while torment is no longer ours is because it's in Christ. That's where it's found. That's the perfect love. The love that God has for us, the love that we can know is this connected relationship with Jesus. That both gives us the identification of it. That helps us to understand, yes, it's because God sent his son but invites us into that, invites us into that, that relationship with Jesus, that place of abiding in him, because that's the place where perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Cast it out. That's worth you just paying attention to for a moment. This has the idea of forcefully casting it out. It has the idea that perfect love forces fear out of your, or your heart, that the two cannot coexist, they can't be there together, that there's no space where you could really know the perfect love of God and hang on to fear. If you can really grab hold of the love of God, it expels it. It pushes it out. It drives it out because of its presence in our lives, that it accomplishes this, and this is really, really good news. It's God's love that does this. It's knowing his love that delivers us our lives from a place of what fear is and what fear does. It's worth just saying it. God doesn't want you living in fear. You know, it's been said by so many others, you know, you think about, you know, there's that repeated command that is found all the way through the scriptures. Fear not. Fear not. Some have gone through and counted it and say there's up to at least 365 times that God says that exact phrase in the scriptures, which is always one of those fun little things to sit there and think, you know, God knows this. There's 365 days in a year. 
It's almost as if saying it every day of every year. Don't be afraid. I don't want you to live in fear. I don't want you to live in fear. I don't want, you, I, I don't want that to be where you are. Because fear would rob you. We can look through Scripture and understand. It was fear that kept the children of Israel from entering into the promised land. It was fear that made Elijah run. It was fear that caused Peter to deny Jesus. It's fear that so often can compel the worst things in our lives. And God would look and says, that's not what I have for you. That's not the design I have for you. I like the way he says it in 2 Timothy. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That this is not what God is doing. He is not wanting you to live this terrified life of living in this kind of just fearful place. He says, I want you to have a whole different kind of life. I want you to have power. I want you to have love and have a sound mind. So quick technical answer, because somebody's going to ask, but Jim, aren't we called to fear God? Like fear God is the beginning of wisdom? Yes, but that's a very different fear. It's not an irrational fear. It's not a fear of judgment. It's not a fear of, uh, of condemnation. When God speaks of having the fear of God, it speaks of a recognition that there is a God and living your life in light of His greatness, in light of His holiness and goodness, which is never a terrified space. It is respect. It is honor. It's a very different thing. The, the place of living in this place where you're afraid, we have this emotion of fear that compels you, uh, you know, to, to just, just be worried and strive. That's not the way God has for He just doesn't want that. And again, if that's where you are, please don't take that as condemnation, but please also understand that's not what he wants. And that's a good, again, that just does good in, our, in my heart just to say, I'm just glad to know that he's not like, no, that's how I like you. That's how I like you. That's, that's, that's what I want to have happen in you. It is not. God doesn't want that. God doesn't want that. He says, if you have this, it would give you boldness. It would give you this boldness in light of that day of judgment. Again, that's the word he uses, but I just want you to see it in verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. Instead of fear, he says, I want you to give you boldness. It's not arrogance. Don't, don't take boldness as arrogance, but it is confidence. It is confidence that you don't have any doubt. You know, it talks about it in Hebrews, that we get to come boldly before the throne of Christ. And the idea is to recognize and access that you're not worried about it. Imagine this. Imagine you were going over to your parents' house or something like that, and, and you're getting ready to enter. And the idea of a boldness has the idea that you just know. It's like, man, I, I can open up the door, and I can walk right in. I am welcome. I'm not, I'm not worried like, okay, you know, like, well, some of you might, okay, that's, you know, but you know what I'm saying? You can be just like, there, there's the place that's like, I am welcome. I am, this is, this is my space. And, and I'm not, I'm not fearful. I'm not living in trepidation. There's meant to be that kind of expectations. I want you to, I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to have boldness. I want you to have a sense so that not only when you stand before Jesus, which we'll do in a different judgment, but a whole different space. It won't be condemnation. But also your expectation now. It's not fear. It's confidence. It's a boldness. It's a place where you know that's coming, where you know what that would be. You know what that would look like. You, you know what that would accomplish. You know, I think about what this looks like and what God would God have for us in this, and probably one of my favorite spaces is to think about how he says it in Romans chapter 8. So I want you to do this with me. Keep your finger here or something marked there in uh, 1 John, and go with me over to the book of Romans. Go with me to chapter 8. I didn't put the page number on there, so hopefully you can find it rapidly if you're using one of the church Bibles. Um, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but if you are unfamiliar with it, I would encourage it maybe later today. Because in many ways, this is the theme of Romans chapter 8. This is exactly what he's unpacking for us in ways that have depth to it and wonder to it that's just incredible, but I want to just walk you through a few pieces of it. It begins in the verse that we already referred to a moment ago. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk, do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He says, now if you're in him, 
If you're a follower of Jesus, there's no condemnation for us. That doesn't, that doesn't reign over us. That is no longer our expectation. And he goes through and walks through a number of things that define the reality of that, of the work of the Spirit in us. But we scan down for time's sake to verse 15. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. This is what God has given you. He is not trying to create within you a fearful relationship with him, one that you live in fear and, and are directed by fear. He wants you to know him as his father. He wants you to cry out, Abba, Father, so that we have that reality. Now, that doesn't mean that life can't be hard. He goes on to say in verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Yeah, life can be hard. Yeah, it can be there, and yet we're looking forward to all of that going away. He goes through and talks about how all of creation is joined into this whole expectation, this longing uh, for that day. But there's a, a perspective that causes us to look at whatever we're going through and say, there's nothing here that compares to what's coming. There's nothing here that compares to what's coming. Then go down to that well-known verse in verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. Not true for everybody, but for every Christian. To those who love God and are called according to His purpose, He says, here's what you get to understand. It's all working. It's all working. Everything has a purpose. Everything is, is working. God is, God is not wasting anything that you're going through right now. He is faithful in the midst of even the struggles. And, and that just is an incredible reality just to, to, to just wait into his goodness. But it should draw us further. For he goes on to say it this way in, in verse 31. And what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, if God is for us, then who could be against us? I mean, if this is true... If, this, if there's no condemnation, if there's not a place of fear, if we're these people that have this expectation of heaven, and even though things can be hard down here, it's all going to be nothing compared to glory, and he's working it all for good, then what would ever stand against who we are? Verse 35 gives it to us this way. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. There's not anything that has the victory. There's not anything that wins. We are those who overcome. For I am persuaded, verse 38, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus our Lord. He's inviting you and I to this incredible confidence, a place he says, here's where I see it. I, I mean, when I grab it, when I see who Jesus is and I see what I am, there's not anything that I ever get in the way of this. There's not anything that could steal this. There's not anything that could rob this. There's not anything that could move us. Think about David who had said, you know, in God I've put my trust. I will not be afraid. What could man ever do to me? I mean, if God is for me, the worst that anybody could ever do to me still wouldn't move me. It wouldn't shake that. There's an incredible reality here. There's a reality that God is inviting you and I to have. The kind of space where, you know, we would recognize no matter what's happening in life, no matter where we're going, it's like you can't actually get at who I really am. The, the world, it can't rob my relationship with Jesus. It can't steal me from the love of God. And everything that it does, the world does, it would do it. God's going to work it for good in my life anyway. And I win. I mean, there's a place where you would look at it this way and, and see it in an incredibly different way. I've told you guys the story of John Christensen who's arrested for his faith early on in, the, in church history, and they were doing their best to cause him to recant uh, and, and move, and they said, you know, hey, you know, you're, John, you're going to have to turn away from this Christianity. If you don't, um, 
we're going to take all of your money. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, you know, plunder your house. We're going to take everything that you have. And, and his response, you know, kind of in, our, in a more modern language was, in essence, I was going to lose that stuff anyway. You know, my real treasure's in heaven. You can't touch them. You know, yeah, yeah, I was going to leave all it behind anyway. And, and, and what I really treasure, you have no access to. And they said, well, you know, then, then we're going to lock you away. We're going we're gonna to keep you from having any contact with, with anybody. You'll never be able to speak to another person about Jesus. And, and, and he said, you know, that'd be a sad reality. I'd love to tell people about Jesus, but you cannot get between me and my God. There's, there's nothing you can do to, to cut off my access to him. There's not anything that you can do. And they're like, well, fine. Well, we'll kill you. And he's like, well, you know, then I get to go and be with Jesus. And like, well, we're going to torture you. And he's like, well, then all of my sufferings are earning me glory. And they were like, well, what do we do to this guy? How do, I mean, there's not, I mean, and they kind of, you know, he recognized, they recognized, it's like, I, you know, there's just not anything you could actually do that could get at who I really am. I, I, I'm in a place where I'm loved by God, and, and in the love of God, there's an incredible space that draws me to see life in a very, very different way. In fact, think about it this way. Death is defeated. Jesus died, so the sting of death is now no longer against us. It becomes for us a shadow. You know, think about that verse. We sang it just a moment ago in the song taken from Psalm 23, where David writes, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. And then in the midst of the song, verse 4, he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And so there's this reality that David looks at what it is to have God there, and he looks at life, and certainly when he's using the idea of a shadow of death, he's not just talking about death, but, you know, kind of the shadow of it, the fears of it, the places of that. That's true but I think it also applies to death, especially for us. Because here's the reality. Are you a Christian? Do you know Jesus? Has he been the one that paid the price for your sins so that now death is defeated? Then death is now a shadow. Think about it this way. It works kind of silly in my little comic book mind, but would you rather be hit by a truck or the shadow of a truck? Well, that's a big difference, is it not? I mean, getting hit by the shadow and being hit by a truck, I mean, hit by a truck, that's devastating. Getting hit by the shadow might be scary, you know, as the truck just kind of wheezes by you and you get caught in its shadow, but that's all it is. That's what death is for you. That's what death is for you. I don't know how you think about it, but again, I just want you to understand, you actually think about it maybe more than you recognize I know I might talk to somebody right now and they're like, Jim, I'm not afraid, you know, to die. I'm just afraid of the process. I understand that. But that's not actually totally true either. I mean, we don't live every day just terrified we're going to get in a car accident and die. Truth is that sometimes, even though we don't recognize it, we're actually afraid to die. That sometimes it grips our lives. That sometimes we, 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 you know, we find ourselves falling into the same traps that our world is, you know, desperately like, you know, you know just give me another, a little bit more time. Everything is about living longer or everything is, is driven into that way. But he's telling us, if you can get this, it's like, I'm not, really, I'm not really afraid to die. It's just a shadow for me. And, you know, however it happens, you know, I kind of hope it happens with the rapture. I, I hope that you and I are in the ones that Jesus isn't called, but it's still the same thing. I mean, in a moment, this life is going to be over. It, it, it's different, but not that different. Because if it doesn't happen in the rapture, there's going to be a moment. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're gonna, your, your life is going to end. And you're going to be absent from the body. And Paul says, you're going to be present with the Lord, and you'll be like, that wasn't that bad. You know, that was a shadow, and I'm with him. I, I, I mean, that's, that's, it's, just a, it's just a win-win scenario for me. Now, that's going to happen, but what this is telling you this morning is you should believe that now. That that place where death is scary, that, that place where death so often and, and the fear of death and what happens after that can, can, can live and, and permeate a life says, shouldn't be you. Shouldn't be you. You should be in the place of like, what could life do to me? What, what could separate me from the love of God that's in Christ? Nothing. Like nothing. I mean, no, you throw your worst, you can't take away what I got. You know, throw your worst, I have this. There is this place where I would recognize and if I can get that, here's what happens. All of a sudden that fear evaporates. It's not that you're trying to get rid of the fear. Interestingly enough, he doesn't say, okay, here's what I want you to do. Work really hard. I want you to look at fear, and I want you to face it, and I want you to chew it out. He's like, no, grab hold of how much God loves you. Grab hold of how much God loves you. Grab hold of the love of God, and you know what will happen? Fear will be gone. 
Fear will be cast out. Fear will be forced out. It'll be expelled. It'll be driven out because perfect love casts it out. Perfect love casts out fear. That's really, really good news. But he lands it for us this way. Notice what he says. Going back, if you're still in Romans 8, you can flip back over uh, to 1 John 4. He says it to us this way in verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So he asks it almost as a question. The one who's afraid, the one who has fear. He says, if that's where you are, then you're not walking in God's perfect love. This is not meant to be an insult. It's just meant to be clear. See, if we sat down right now and, and, and we could talk and I could ask you, you know, do you, do you know Jesus? Do you, you have a relationship with him? Yes, yes. You know, if you do, it's, it's an incredible space. But are you afraid? All right, let me back up for a moment. Maybe I'd say, okay, do you believe it? Do you believe that you're really his? Do you believe that you're really going to heaven? And you might answer yes. And if I asked you, do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that he's love? You know, I, I kind of have a sense that I would sit down with somebody in this room right now and you'd say, I believe that. I mean, it's like John 3, 16. This is like basic. You know, I learned that in Sunday school. You know, Jesus loves me, this I know. I mean, I know that he loves me. Do you really believe it? Yeah, I really believe it. Are you afraid? Are you afraid to die? Are, are you afraid of this? And some of you would honestly say yes. And I would simply say, then you don't really believe it yet. Now, that's not meant to be an accusation. It's just an identification so that you could say, this is not your work. God is not asking you to do it. He's just asking you to know it. He's saying, I just need you to know it. I need you to know how much I love you. I need you to know that this is the love that's ours in Christ. This is that place where he told us back in verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God. That's what we're talking about. I'm not talking about you and me, and that, but that he loved us and sent his own son to be the propitiation for our sin. That's what you're needing. And he says, if you can get a hold of that, if you can get a hold of how much he loves you, if you can get a hold of how powerful the love of God is, that fear that's present can be driven out. And I'm holding this out as an offer because, again, here's the danger. I know I'm talking to somebody who you think you believe this, but you're still afraid, and I'm just telling you the love of God is better than you yet know. And it doesn't mean that that's going to be like, okay, bad you. No, it just means like, oh, there's more for me. Then I need to know it more. God, this means you got like, God, help me to understand how much you love me. God, I really need to know that. Help me to see Jesus just a little bit better. Help me to understand him a little bit more because if I can get that, this other stuff will go away. And it is there whether you believe it or not. But he's inviting you to see that. And I'm holding this out as an offer and an invitation that if that's you here this morning, that God would just rescue and he would just say, you know, it's not the, I don't want you to live this way. I'm not wanting you to stay in this terrified state where you're just dreading dying in many ways. I want you to have life. I want you to have this reality. You know, in a moment, we're, we're going to pull this to a close, and, and we're going to be thinking about this whole idea of perfect love casts out fear, and our closing song is going to be one that we sing every now and then, and the danger is that you might not pay attention, so I just want to point it out now, that it's going to tell us, you know, when I fear, uh, you know, that my faith will fail, what he's inviting me to see is it's not me, it's him, Christ, it is Christ. It is in Christ that I have my life. He will hold me fast, we're going to sing. And, and what are we going to understand? Because he really loves me. For my Savior, he really loves me. And if I get that, then that changes things. That ch I, I find myself feeling. I find myself knowing. I find myself in this place recognizing who he is that changes everything in my life. Christian, I'm just inviting you to this. You, you could spend all of your days as a Christian and not get here, and you're still going to be fine. There's still not going to be any condemnation. You're still going to stand before Jesus. But it's a miserable place to live, and he doesn't want you to stay that way. 
It doesn't shine Christ the way he wants it to. And so he's just telling you, like, I, could, I want you to know how much I love you. Perfect love casts out fear. And he's inviting you to do that. So you can close your Bibles, your notebooks, and we're going to take a moment and pray for this. But I need to come back and say it one more time. I, I referenced it throughout our morning message. This is true for every Christian. God's perfect love for you is present. It is real. You have no reason to live in terror. You have no reason uh, to, to live in fear because of what Christ has already accomplished for you. But this morning, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, may I say it as clear as I can. You have great reason to be afraid. There is a judgment. There is a judgment, and that should terrify you. It should terrify you. You're going to stand before God and give an account of your life. And outside of Jesus, hell is the only outcome of that. And I don't say that in, in any way of, you know, glad for that or, you know, in any sense of just, you know, trying to scare you in a, in a sense. You should, you should be scared. But kind of scaring that should drive you to Jesus. That, that should make you recognize the only way out of this is Jesus. That's what God sent his son for to be the rescue for our sin, to be the rescue of our souls. And if that's you this morning, we're going to take a moment and pray. And in that moment of prayer, I just would long that you would say, okay, today, God, I need you. Like right now, right here, just you talk to him about that. Ask for him to, to be your rescue. And then come up and talk to us afterwards. We'd like to talk to you and pray with you more. But if you know Jesus, maybe you're doing really good. Maybe you're like, Jim, this is good stuff. This is how I live my life. I, I'm not afraid. I, 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 Romans 8 is one of my verses, you know, just, you know, what could separate me from the love of Christ? Nothing. And you, and you feel it. it. It gives you a confidence. But for some of you, you didn't even really know that you're afraid of death, but you're afraid of death. It, it consumes you. You're, you're worried. You, you live terrified of something you don't fully grasp. And you're thinking, how do I fix that? You can't. He can. I just want you to see what you need. God, I need to know you love me. Perfect love would cast this out. I, I need to grab hold of the love of God. I need to see it more clearly. I need to know your love. And if that's you this morning, I just want to invite you to ask him for that. Ask him that he would enable you to grab hold of that. So you take a quiet moment, talk to God in prayer. I'm going to do the same thing wherever that has met you this morning, longing that in this quiet space, God would just draw you into a place where that would be entirely real. So you pray, I'll do the same, and we'll close in worship in just a moment. God, I pray for those right now who are living in light of, a, of an impending judgment, who outside of a relationship with Jesus are heading towards that day where they will be judged and torment is the outcome of that. God, rescue these. Draw them to Christ. The only answer, the, the only way of salvation. 
that their sins might be propitiated, paid for, moved away, and brought into a good relationship with you. God, rescue these. God, then I pray for us who know you, and I recognize right now if we're inside you, if we're in Christ and you're in us, there's no condemnation for us. That will never be our space. You paid the whole price, Jesus. We now find ourselves loved. Loved by you. Held in your love. And the worst things that could happen in this world would never touch that. Never shake that. I want to believe right now that this is exactly what you said you would do. And God, you see our hearts. You see some are doing well with this, and I pray that they would be encouraged. But others that are living in fear. And the honest thing is they just don't really believe how much you love them, how firm and strong your love is, how you are a God who is love. So God, I'm just asking, Lord, cause us to see it. Cause us to know your perfect love. May it pour into us and through us and out of us in a way that is life-giving and real. But may it do exactly what you said it would do. That your perfect love casts out fear. Make it so, Lord. I ask for that for me and for all of us now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May God meet you in that. May he cause you to know his incredible love for you and all that he has in that. We just want to encourage you again, if you need someone to talk to and pray with, we're here. Come up and talk to us after the service. We'd love to be a part of that. We also want to take a moment and again and just encourage you, you know, to be those who do exactly what it says. You know, the love of God pours into us and through us. And he says, hey, love one another. So do that, just actually, like find somebody before you rush out of here, meet somebody, learn somebody's name, pray for somebody even, be those who walk in that. We just want to encourage that. So with that encouragement, why don't you stand? We're going to close in worship and long that God would help us just to, to find ourselves feeling the weight and the wonder of his security. So in that, I just bless you in the name of God, taking his name, his blessing that he gives us in Numbers chapter six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.